Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, culminators, you know, I'm a little bit of a nostalgic guy. I'm, I have a tendency as elderly people do look back on the past and remember things fondly, even if they weren't necessarily so fond. I'll tell you, however, when it comes to John Hawkins and right-wing news, everything I remember about the experience of being involved with John, whom I wrote for um, as a weekend blogger, uh, I don't know, was it two, 300 years ago, is fond. And we have stayed in touch as John has moved on from that project and others. And I thought it'd be fun to have him on the show to talk about those heady days of blogging and right-wing news and what he's been up to since then. So I want to welcome to the program, John Hawkins. Thank you. And first of all, I got to tell you, when you say it's a nostalgia thing, it reminds me of interviewing Bruce Campbell. Because when I interviewed him, you know, of course, one of the things I asked him about early on is like, how does it feel? You know, you made Army of Darkness. That's such a huge movie. And he was like, well, that was a long time ago. And it's kind of weird. You know, that's still the thing everybody talks about. It's kind of, you know, so here we are. You're like, man, you're a nostalgia guest. So that hurts me right in the feels, bro. You're going to tell me why we should think of you as a happening guy right now, because you're, you're, you're not on my radar the way they were when we were working uh, on the same publication. Um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Right Wing News was uh, massive. And I am not doing today. What I'm doing is not as massive yet. And it may take a while to get it that massive. So uh, I understand what you're saying. How does John how, how do you how do you how did you end up getting into that space in the first place? Well, it was after the Bush Gore election. And basically, I was just sitting there. I'm watching the election. I wasn't that involved in politics. Uh, and I saw him sitting there saying, well, Bush should concede to Gore. And I think it was CNN or somewhere. And I was like, this is the most nuts thing I've ever heard. Why would Bush concede to Gore? And I was like, somebody needs to get the opposite opinion out there. And that was a very, very different era. You're talking about 2001 is when I started this thing. Okay, so where yeah. were you at that time? Were you working in an ice cream shop? Were you, were you, were, were you uh, a cop? I, I, John, you and uh, I have never really had this conversation. What made you think that you could be a guy who could do something about that? Did you have a background in social media, as we call it now? We didn't use that well, term so much in those days. Back at that time, well, here's what I started doing. I was doing, I'd been doing writing forever. Like I, I worked in Charlotte on a zine called Fubar, believe it or not, which had some really crazy entertainment to it. Do these I've people, been doing, John, you and I are old guys. Yeah, I don't think I think a lot of I'm not saying that that I have a lot of teeny boppers listening, but mm -hmm. not everyone knows what a zine is. Well, at the time, it, it's like a think about like a print copy. So this was actual print thing that came out every month. Uh, and we did all kinds of wild articles. There was a guy named Adam the point is that it was a zine was a, was an, an informal or an unofficial or like an independent version of a magazine. Yeah, think about 
about it as a blog, except it was made out of paper. It's kind of like a magazine in a newspaper format, but smaller, and it doesn't come out that often. It comes out like once a month. You don't have that much footage, that kind of thing. So that's what a zine was. And we did you know crazy stuff in Charlotte. We, we covered some of these weird issues you see today. Even back then in 2020, we had a guy, for example, and we had a big fight. You don't mean 2020. Him. That was only two years 2000, ago. 2000, my friend. I'm sorry, but we had a big fight over it. This guy wanted to do a thing promoting the idea that um, basically he was really into, I think, like amputees. And so he was like someone who thought you should be able to amputate your legs just for the fun of it. Or because you thought it looked good. It's sort of like, think of the trans issue. It's the same kind of thing. So that was going on in like 2000. But I did that. I did a humor webpage called Brass Knuckles Webzine. I did pro wrestling columns. I did all kinds of stuff. So How are you making yeah. a living, though? Not from this crap. Oh, no, no, no. I was doing, at the time, I took a job in, in uh, this was in Charlotte, yeah, for a place called Laser Quest. Well, no, that was first. I did Laser Quest first. I had started doing some writing. At this time, I was at PCIA, which is a quasi-governmental agency in Alexandria, Virginia. And no, wait, that was, I'm sorry, I'm getting these confused. This is a long time ago. It's two decades. This is good. I, no, so I think it. it's good that we have this conversation because we're going to clear things up was, in your head. It was Laser Quest, actually. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, now I remember. I was doing tech support. I did a lot of crappy jobs, by the way, as you could guess, but I was doing tech support and I took the job because they literally did not care what you did when you were not on a call. So uh, I, I went in there, I, I did a great job on the calls, but then I would go work on right wing news and I did that for a long while, but then I did such a good job, I got promoted. And because I got promoted, they then they got huffy about me working on stuff when I wasn't uh, when I wasn't on a call. And eventually I got demoted for doing it. Someone got healthy because they're like, why are there posts for this right-wing news thing going up while you're during your work hours? So I got demoted, kept doing it, and eventually went full-time in 2005. Okay. And then I was making enough money on it to live. It was not a lot of money. It didn't really explode and go up to crazy, crazy numbers until, I want to say, 2015 when Facebook really took off. Or 2014, late 2014. And were you doing uh, all the yeah. writing? At, I assume you were doing all the writing at first? At first, I did everything. Like from 2000, well, I did everything. What I started doing is there were a lot of very talented bloggers, yourself included. Why, thank and you. And the sad thing about it was the, and this is one of the terrible things about you know conservatism in general, is they do very, very poor job of recruiting talent, rewarding talent. And if you're on the left, you can make all you you know the guys on the left who were in the position that you and I were in. They spent their life going from think tank to think tank to political campaign to getting paid this and that. I mean these guys were making right, seventy eight thousand dollars a year. Well, let's not kid ourselves. There are plenty on the yeah. right who 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 uh, roll logs that way also. A few, but I mean percentage wise, I'm going to say there's probably ten on the left for everyone on the right that does it. Probably. I mean that's my opinion anyway. So it's, it's yeah, a well, especially because because they, well, they they they're te they they're trip through the revolving door involves frequent stops in government right which is mostly closed off to, to, to right-wing guys uh, at the federal level well same thing with media i mean like i've written for 
an awful lot of people on the right one time or another, but it's very hard to get a gig unless you know somebody at, let's say, National Review or, uh, you know, used to be the Weekly Standard. A few of those things, unless you know somebody, it's hard to get a gig at one of those cushy, right. think tanky type jobs. It's not nearly as hard on the left. And part of that's because of a different philosophy. They're much more into, hey, let's put some money into bringing talent along. Conservatives are more like, let's see who makes it and who doesn't. And then we'll go reward the winners. That's it's a little more like that. And that's kind of how it goes. But and, and, you know, both styles have advantages and disadvantages. But in 2005, I was making enough uh, and I was doing everything. I started bringing in more bloggers to write for me. Uh, eventually, when Facebook took off, that was huge for me. I worked with a guy named uh, Cyrus Musumi and Cyrus. I, I, I like really, anyone with the name Sumi in his name. So, yeah, he threatened to sue me once, but that's, that's another story. But uh, Cyrus, Cyrus was interesting guy because I don't think he really had any strong ideological beliefs. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Learned a lot from about how Facebook was working and eventually didn't work out between the two of us. I didn't end up coming on with him full time as an employee, but I learned enough to do my own stuff. And I started just jumping into the Facebook space and there were already some very big conservative websites there. I mean, big conservative Facebook pages. However, the thing is, a lot of them, people just didn't know who they were. I mean, there were people doing the same amount of traffic as, say, the New York Times that nobody had ever heard of in the blog world or right, in the right. National Review world. And so when right-wing news came in, everybody had at least heard of right-wing news. So they're like, ah, oh, these guys are credible. And we blew up. We did – in fact, I've seen articles on the type of traffic we did – where they were comparing it, these guys did as much, you know, it had as much engagement as like Brett Bart, the Washington Post and National and uh, New York Times combined. We took off, we did enormous, enormous amounts of traffic. We were one of the most prominent Facebook pages out there. So you um, started out as it started out as a Facebook page. Well, we didn't start out. That's how we really took off. That's okay. what started driving crazy amounts of traffic to us. And once we went to that point, we went from just me. And me getting a little bit of help. Yeah, that's like way, way, way out in the old days, 2005 there. That's all John Hawkins. I think I had stuff up pretty much uh, six, seven days a week. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I, I really loved writing blogs back in those days. Uh, yeah, that was beautiful. But we went up to about 30 independent contractors working for us. We were doing huge, huge business. Eventually, and partially because we were so successful, Facebook started hammering Facebook pages. And they we were one of the ones that got hit first and hard. And we eventually ended up uh, going down the tubes. And we just it got to the point where it was like, okay, I had to fire all the staff. And we could have kept running it and making a little bit of money with maybe three or four of us running a skeleton crew. But I was like, I don't want to go back to that. I'm just going to go on and do other things. Uh, and so that's where I've been, you know, I've kind of been skating around, checking out some different stuff since then. Uh, and what I've been doing lately is Culture Cidal, which is a um, it's a Substack paid you know, subscription newsletter. So Culture Cidal, is that is that what, what is the subject matter of Culture Cidal, the uh, uh, culture wars? Yeah, a lot of it's very culture oriented. Uh, we do a little bit of politics here and there, a little bit of economic stuff. The average articles getting probably 11, 12,000 people reading it. So it's getting out there. And I mean, to be honest with you, that was the kind of numbers I was getting near the top of town hall 
Uh, Because I was at one time one of the most read people on town halls, me, Dennis Prager and Kurt Slichter. Right. Yeah, right. You you would cross post from town hall on Mm -hmm. right wing news. Yeah, I've been I've been everywhere, man. I've done everything all I've written for town hall, human events, the hill, hot air, gateway pundit. Uh, I don't know. There's there's another 10 I could probably name wrote wrote for Bongino for a while. Been all over. So, John, what I'm wondering is, yeah, yeah, what you know. I understand this, for example, in contradistinction to you, someone like Kurt, he's got a lot of things going on. He has his law practice. And yeah, he, Kurt's and great. He, and he, you know, he gets these radio sub, you know, these, these radio subbing gigs and, and he yeah. writes these fiction books, which I'm so jealous of because I can't write fiction at They're all. They're phenomenal too, by the way. I've read all of Kurt's. All the and whole, and whole when series. I read, I, 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 I'm, I'm so, so look, all right. So that, so that's, look, you can't learn it, but, but, you, I, I, I could have seen you once you walked away from right wing news, mm-hmm. propelling yourself into something. Like, did, did you ever, did you do any podcasting? Was that something? Did you ever consider that? I did do podcasting. In fact, it didn't work out. But basically, uh, I got actually they they offered me basically, we'll pay you money to come on and do a podcast for us. Just do your own podcast. So I went out. I did the podcast. This was a long time ago. I'm trying to even remember what the network is because it went out of business. And it just didn't catch on. I mean, the I mean, I thought it went well. The guy who even owned the network says, man, I listened to your show. I think it's phenomenal. It's not catching on, though. So eventually they stopped paying me, and I just didn't stick with the podcasting. And it wasn't something – I mean, it's something I can do, and I have filled in as a radio host before. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours as a guest. Um, but I just didn't catch on there doing a podcast. And and it feels now like at this point, it's just sort of overdone. Like I don't even enjoy listening to podcasts, uh, political either. podcasts. I, I never listen to podcasts. <laughs> I listen to lots of like longevity and health podcasts, you know, that kind of thing, or Tim Ferriss, those guys, but not so much political podcasts. So it's one of those things where it's like, eh. And, and as to why I never caught on, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it has to do with I don't neatly fit into any category. And I think, you know, I understand very well what you have to do to really take off. I mean, if I wanted right now to be to to do really, really well, what I would do is just forget about what I believe and go out and I would rah-rah for Trump probably would be it. You know, I would go out and I would say that. I would tell people what they want to hear all the time. I would stick in one lane. It either have to be a grassroots lane or an establishment lane, probably a grassroots lane. But see, I say things all the time that people go, well, that's smart, but it, it doesn't quite fit. So I'm not, uh, I'm too grassroots to write for someone all the time like National Review. Does it seem, but John, doesn't it seem like National Review has lost the plot? You don't think so? You know, I still like National Review a lot. I I think part of it is, uh, what's a good way to put this? I think they're a little bit out of sync with where the conservative movement is right now. And I I mean, look, I'm a little out of sync with where the conservative movement is right now. How? Tell me how. Well, I, I, for one thing, like, I think we're talking a little bit about when we came in about CPAC. Like, I went to CPAC all the time. I loved it. I got sick of it because it got to a point where it felt like it was just the Trump show. And I'm not a Trump fan. I don't like that guy. Like I, I liked, I loved him until he ran for president, and I started listening to him. And there's a lot of, and there's reasons for it. But since I don't, you know, if you're out of sync, if you don't love Trump, and you're not more, you know, you're not fully populist, you're a little out of sync with what the conservative movement is right now. Until Trump loses, 
either in the primary or he loses the general again, and it'll be one or the other. I mean, to be honest with you, once that happens, you might have a chance where things are reset and someone like National Review is more in sync with the movement. But if you're out of it right now, like I'll just give you an example. I like Jonah Goldberg a lot. I'm a big fan of Jonah's work. I think he's a brilliant writer. Um, Same thing. Jonah is wildly out of sync with where the movement is. I'm not saying he's wrong. I agree with him on most things, but he's out of sync with it. And I'm a little out of sync with it, too, if that makes sense. Well, it certainly does make sense. Uh, But what's interesting to me, though, is that you're not not what people call a neocon. No, not at all. You're an old-fashioned conservative Mm -hmm. um, and always had very conservative uh you know roots and moves and still do yes yeah um and and and, and there's no inconsistency between that and having a problem with Donald Trump obviously the national review guys um have had a trouble a problem with, with Donald Trump mm-hmm. um but it does seem that even people who who don't like Trump also they get on a not on, on the anti-trump train mm-hmm. and like and i guess to some extent what you're saying is that you don't really have a place on either train you are even if you don't like trump you're not going to say as a lot of people do including in the republican party mm-hmm. it's it it's it's okay if we abandon all norms of justice and due process mm-hmm. and political um ethics mm-hmm. because trump's so bad that's not a valid position and there's nothing conservative about it talk about not conserving anything what do you say to guys like uh mike cernovich and you know and uh jack Posobiec who say you know what what is conservatism ever ever conserved is there a good answer to that yeah uh well you know keep in mind first of all everything's relative so if you start saying what's conservative, let's just start with that. What is every what is conservatism conserved? It's conserved a lot if you think about it. Uh, go look at Europe. How's Europe? Europe's way off to the left of where we are. Pretty much everywhere is lay off to the left of where we are. I think one of the things we we I think conservatives is a couple of things. One, we've been too complacent for a long time. And I think we've let the left do a lot of stuff we should have never let them do in the first place, like take over the schools, take over the entertainment industry. We've let them get their tentacles into everything. And so then we have this thing where it's like, well, why aren't they, why aren't why are these politicians doing the right thing? And it's like, well, you know, you, you gave them a culture, you gave them the schools, you gave them entertainment, you let them take over the businesses and they're just going with the flow. We, you know, nobody's willing to stand up and stop them on that level. So I think that is a, that's a big thing. And the other thing is, and I think a lot of people don't think about this, is there's an economic component to all this. And Ray Dalio wrote a great book about this. But over time, you're seeing the, you know, the economy's changed in a way that a lot of people don't understand because of fiat money. Because what's happened over time is the, the middle class, it's eroded a lot, what, what they're getting paid. Uh, you can see, I mean, we've seen it much faster over the last, uh, three years. Like, I don't know how regular people are making it. And you look at what's going on with it. And, and it's like the groceries, you know, people were even, let's put it this way. Three years ago, 60% of Americans were saying they were living paycheck to paycheck. Well, everything's gone up like 40% in three years. How are they making it today? And not the pay, right, but not, not the paychecks. 
not the paychecks, because even if you got raises, the raises did not overcome inflation. You still lost ground even if you got a raise. If you stayed even, you lost a lot of ground. So uh, there's well, those mean, things are in there too. Yeah, I think those are – and I also say one one more thing, and this is not so much for uh, – Although, I don't know, Cernovich, and I'm not huge fans of either of those guys, but like, you know, the Nick Fuentes type guys are like, well, you know what, you guys have never won anything. Why don't you let us take a shot? Well, you know, change is not always better because it's change. What have Nazis ever won? (laughs) And he's basically a little Nazi. Let's just call it like it is. Oh, he's based. He's a based little Nazi. That's what he is. So what is the what has he ever won? What is he ever victories he ever delivered? You know, it, but it's anyway, yeah. But 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 it does seem you know now that you mentioned you know because obviously I I don't I don't see you mixing it, mixing it in mixing it in with guys like like you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mike and Jack who you know are friends of mine. But mm-hmm. I uh, the problem with that is Ron Coleman's friends with everyone. The only person who's managed to absolutely lose me is Laura Loomer. <laughs> um, but from from. The, no, we, we will. Uh, I have nothing move, to say. We will Laura move on. Me on Twitter. So, but the thing is, you do seem to have. You know, there was a moment during in 2016. Oh, let me take a step back. 2016. How did what? How did you vote? How did what were you what we what were you urging people to do in 2016 when it was Trump versus Clinton? I first of all, I got it wrong. I thought Hillary was going to beat him. I didn't think he had. Oh, you're in chance. very good company. I, right. I was, That's most everybody. I, uh, I was at the election headquarters in, for Pennsylvania, and yeah. we we could not believe what we were seeing. We couldn't believe what we were seeing with our eyes. I mean, I I have heard and I believe this entirely. The Trump campaign thought they were going to lose. Uh, in fact, I this is a little th- something early early on when Trump was running. I got to meet him in Myrtle Beach. It's a great picture of the two of us together on his jet, which is neat. He's super, super cordial, friendly guy. One of his yeah, aides he is talked smooth. him up to he me. He is smooth. Do you know what they what, – but one of his aides also told me, I was like, why is he running? He's not going to win. And he's like, oh, no, he didn't want to win. He just wants – it's a branding exercise for him. <laughs> and that's that's – I'm sure that's how we got into it. And then he's like, well, I can win. Then it's like, well, let's run for it. And it's like, well, he's probably surprised as everyone else when he won. But uh, so I, I didn't vote for him. I was I just didn't like him, and I don't like him. Uh, I've never voted for him. I never will vote for him. You voted? Uh, so did you vote third party, or did you vote? For I, vo- I wrote in Ted Cruz, 2016, 2020. I was a Ted Cruz guy, and you know, and, and I and I, mm-hmm. I thought Ted Cruz would have been great. Ted would be in his second term right now if he'd won. No I question. mean, I'm just saying he would. He would have. Uh, and and I'll tell you, and this. Well, I'll just say that. I try to stay away from it because people are so set in their opinions that it's like, well, you either love him. And if you love him, great. Tell us how much you love him. And and I was going to go back to that real quickly with like Cernovich and Jack. What those guys do, and this is one of the things you're asking about what you should do to be popular right now, is you tell people what they want to hear. That really is it. You tell people what they want to hear and what they aspire to hear, which is Trump's got this, man. You know what? Uh, Trump's mugshot going to bring in the black vote. And Trump going for trials, all the regular people are going to think, wow, this guy's being railroaded, and they're all going to vote for him. And you tell them all that stuff. Cernovich has been coming on very strong on that particular point about which, – which does have a certain amount of appeal to me that the way they're, the way they're going after Trump with this unhinged 
abuse of the, of the law enforcement system is probably getting him votes among people who might have been on the fence before. Uh, because the, do, do you disagree that there is a very large segment of the silent majority, so to speak, as they would, as we called it back in the day, that really would just like to see the system get a poke in the eye, to put it mildly? They already got the poke in the eye with Trump in 2016. I mean, look, this this is where I'm at on it. And and I, everything with Trump is complicated because, you know, and this is one of the other things with me, too. I, there's enough stuff I say that's good about him that it makes all the moderate and liberal people mad. But there's enough stuff I say that's bad about him. All the Trump fans hate me. So I get that. But uh, what I would say is, and you know this, he's got six trials next year. What And two of them are federal. And I don't know how this is going to play out, whether they're going to require him to be there or not. But I don't see how he can run a campaign. How do you that, run a I campaign? I think that is the campaign. The problem for him is that federal yeah. courts don't permit cameras in the courtroom. Well, and the other thing is, do, and I don't know if this will be the case with him. I don't think it's been definitively said, but don't people who are on trial normally have to be there? I, for a criminal trial, you do have to show up. Yeah, that's not so something then here's you, a question. you can How does he even run a presidential campaign when there's six trials going on? He's going to have to attend. I mean, Trump being Trump, could say something crazy at any point, and a judge could go, well, you said that on social media. We got death threats. Uh, no more social media. Everything, you're, say, everything yeah. you're saying is right, but but the, the response to that is they look how much they want Trump to not be president or not That's to be true. able to have an effective campaign. Why should we give them that? Why well, the hell should we get, should, should we allow them to choose our candidates for us by by arresting them? I hear that, hear that. But the flip side of that is, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Nancy Kerrigan. They've already smashed her knee. <laughs> she, you can put him out there, and he can go out with his smashed knee and get crushed, and we can go, oh, it's so unfair, it's election interference, and they're going to go, well, you knew about this in the middle of two thousand twenty-three. That's right, and, and and that's what makes it interesting here is. Is it really possible, as Cernovich seems to think it is, that Trump could overcome these tremendous burdens that have been put on him as illegitimately and and banana republicly as they have been? But there they are. And, and they're there. I mean, like, I, I didn't put all this stuff on him. It just is on him. And keep in mind, this is not someone who's starting from a great place anyway. He's wildly unpopular. I mean, he's got hard, he's got the hardest hardcore base. He's like super Ron Paul. If you remember Ron Paul's campaign a few years back, where it's like, I don't know, maybe 10% of Republicans thought he was the greatest thing in history and they loved him and did it. That's he's got a bigger chunk of people. But also all the people outside of it don't like him. I saw a poll the other day, and I'm sure this is right, that 60 some percent of people think he's guilty of something, which I do, too. I think he's guilty in the documents case. Um, and keep in mind, not only is he going to have all these things put on him because of the court, that means the whole year you're going to get nothing but news about his trials. And some of it's going to be bad. I mean, keep in mind, you know, he's he's also got that, uh, you know, the civil suit going on with the he's going to have to pay a defamation trial. You know, that the defamation on uh, E. Jean Carroll saying he sexually abused her. Well, get, keep in mind, there were already 26 other women who'd made claims like that. You know what I would do if I were the Democrats? Now, this is Democrats is not what I do personally. But if I were a Democrat, I bet you that they've already got four or five other ones sitting in the wings and they're telling them, hey, listen. Absolutely. You wait till he runs. We'll pay for your lawyer. 
and he, he'll probably lose two or three of those. That's looks just looks terrible. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like they've got him. And we can sit there and complain that they got him. We can say it's unfair that they got him, but they got him. So if we run him, he's going to get crushed, and we're going to complain all year long about how unfair it is, and he's going to lose. I'd rather win. I mean, keep in mind the other advantage of winning is if we win, they can actually pardon him on the federal charges, which he's going to probably need on those document cases. That's what I think, but I don't know. You're a lawyer. You know better than me, but I think he may need a pardon in that documents case. So I, I don't know. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. And I didn't mean to get off on a long thing here on Trump. No, I try to I, avoid I, I, talking no, about him, but oh, but you know, yeah. well, you do, and that's and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you about it because I think of you as having really good instincts on this stuff. Mm-hmm. As and and drawing on those instincts, what do you? Let's shoot ahead four years. I'd rather not think mm-hmm. about what's going to happen in, in twenty four. I'm I'm not optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm not optimistic, although it's amazing how bad the Democrats are also, and which is the only they reason. Are. So, you know, they, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're destroying the major cities mm-hmm. with a smile. I mean, they're, they don't even express regret or reconsideration yeah. about any, the way any of their policies play out. They only just double down and double down. Mm-hmm. So they want to make Detroit the model for, for every single major city and it's it's you know you've never been a city guy anyway i love visiting them (laughs) well less than ever probably oh it's fun i went to new york uh you know not so long ago it's it's great i love going out there i'm going to seattle later this year i love visiting the cities and i and i'll tell you people you know they are destroying the cities but letting these criminals run wild but that will correct itself eventually oh okay so now you're going where i wanted to take you which is where where do you see you know, the the general trends here. I mean, do, do you think that things are going to, the pendulum, pendulum is going to kind of center itself again, swing a little bit more right? And that, because that, the, the argument, the concern is, and I think this is part of what the people who are the hardest core of the hardcore Trumpists, Trumpists is, although I don't think, I don't think that being a Trumpist necessarily addresses this, mm-hmm. is the the left has captured, as you said before, all these institutions and all these systems and all the, you know, the courts and the and the, the networks and the schools in it in a way that is calculated to prevent conservatives from ever retain from ever getting power again. Mm-hmm. Is, is that gonna happen? Or is there some kind of other correcting mechanism you think that prevents that? Well, three things. Uh, one, as far as what you're saying, the real danger to me would be if they wipe us out. Like, let's say Trump loses. And because he's wildly unpopular, we lose the House, too. And we don't, you know, we don't take the Senate back, which we should. Uh, then we're really in a spot because one of the things they've really been pushing is to get rid of the filibuster, number one, and two, stack the Supreme Court. Once they do that, I think this is this is my personal opinion. I think we're over as a republic. It will take a little time, but the logic of it will be such that everybody goes, well, look, we whoever takes over can just take control. We better make sure they never take over again. And you change the laws. You go out and you do all these things to make sure the other side never gets in. And I'm not saying, let me put it this way, once those things are in place, either the Democrats will do it or the Republicans will get in and do it. 
somebody will, I mean, it will be the logic of it. Once it gets in, gets to that point where you stack the Supreme court, you get rid of the filibuster, then it's, it becomes imperative to never get out of power. Same thing. This is one of the dangers of using the legal system, the way they're using it is again, people start going, well, if the only way to stay out of jail is to be in power, I guess I better always be in power. So that's very dangerous. But now here's the two things about this. Reversing this stuff takes time. It, it doesn't happen with one candidate. It takes consistent effort over time. It also takes winning, uh, at least in the case of the, the presidency. We've got to get someone in there who can win and start making changes. They've got to clean out the DOJ. I think we need to clean out the military with some of the stuff that's going on there. I find it very concerning, the direction the military is moving, that you know they're moving away from being prepared to fight and being more into a woke social program, which is pretty clearly where they're going. Now, as to the crime stuff, the reason I think that will correct itself is people still have to live there. And liberals, as much as they like the idea of talking all that stuff, you know, when businesses are like, we can't run a business like this with people stealing, you know, all our profits. And the regular people are scared to walk down the street. And that's already happening in a lot of places. If you don't live in a gated community in places like San Francisco, eventually they're going to come up with an excuse and demand that it change. And I think you will see a swing back in that direction. Um, but but like with what you're saying, as far as the country goes, we are at kind of a dangerous moment. And people say that all the time. I, I don't know that they'll do this, but I do know that if if Kristen Cinema, I mean, if Cinema and uh, Mansion hadn't been there, they would have loved to have gone at this time. And who knows? I don't know if Cinema's going to be there again. I don't know that Mansion's going to be there long term. They may have the votes, and when they do, we could be in a lot of trouble. And I mean the whole country. I mean, when I say a lot of trouble, I mean once we get to that point where they have the, they've gotten rid of the Senate filibuster and they've stacked the Supreme Court. It's a matter of time until you have like a dictatorship or a revolution or secession or something really, really bad like that. And they don't care. They're just go, go, let's just, we'll just go through it. But we should care. We should be worried about how that's going to play out. So I, I think time is the thing that makes them think about how that, you know, that gives us a chance to change things. So we'll see how it plays out. But you don't seem like a worried man. I can't control it. <laughs> if I, I, I try to not, you know, one of the reasons I'm a happy person is I try not to worry too much about things I can't control. And like I said, you know, I, I don't philosophy. want Well, it better be if it's if you're not if you're worried about things you can't control all the time, you're going to be a very unhappy person. You know, if I'm going to be crushed, oh, my God, Trump wins the primary. Well, he might win the primary and there's nothing I can do about that. Or, you know, oh, no, Biden got reelected. Well, if I'm going to cry over that, you know, I'm going to be an unhappy person. I'm going to be going in for, uh, you know, to a therapist to talk about my feelings. <laughs> they don't, nobody needs that. Putting aside polls. Who would you like to be the nominee for the Republicans in 2024? Who's your man? Well, I'd like to see DeSantis. He's a grassroots populist guy. He's hyper competent. Uh, I think he would be perfect. And I think the problem people have with him is the same time. Every, anybody who crosses Trump, and you've seen this a million times with people he's hired. I don't even know how many people he has hired that he has then fired and then it's like, you know, they, they went from being, oh, this guy's phenomenal to this guy sucks. He's deep state. He's the worst ever. And it's like, well, nothing changed except Trump fired him. You know what? So that's the same thing. If you go against Trump, a certain percentage of people hate you. Just yeah, and, and, and that's really and I, and I I mean, I've done a couple of videos on that topic alone. This idea that 
you know, it's one thing you can say, like, it's part of the personality and part of being Donald Trump is that anyone who's not on your side, uh, you know, is a, it, it or and who you don't believe you can bring along. I mean, he's supposed to be the art of the deal guy. Mm-hmm. But if you're a threat to him, you're 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 really a piece of garbage and you, and you get no respect and you get a nickname and you're not only a worthy adversary, you're an arch enemy. Mm-hmm. OK, OK, that's Donald Trump. But if you're 25, 30, 35 years old and you're an Internet influencer for a living, you know, and you're going to adopt that way of dealing with other people to show your loyalty to Donald Trump or for, a, you know, some kind of, you know, payment that you get. What's your future going to look like? This is going to be ugly. And you're not going to be because you're not Donald Trump. You're never going to be Donald Trump. And, and you're no. alienated. Donald Trump is already... It, He's he's an old man. Just because everyone else is older than him in government doesn't make him not an old man. He's seventy seven. He's he's yeah. He's played. You know he he's had a pretty damn good run. It's an interesting yeah. life. But you're just starting your career, and you're going to make all these enemies. You're going to call p- people names. It's amazing to me that people. You know, it's funny to think that in the days of blogging, mm-hmm. to bring our conversation back to the beginning. That we can now look back on that and think of it as a slower, uh, you know, a, a slower kind of existence. I mean, with social media, everything's immediate. Everyone reacts immediately. Everything is about the clicks. When we blogged, it was, of course, immensely more immediate than, you know, writing a real magazine or a paper magazine or a newspaper. But you know, I, I would put my column for the for you know sunday to bed some you know the week before and it would be ready to publish you didn't you know you didn't double check me it's ron coleman he can write whatever he wants we never never once did we have an issue about anything that i published and that was nonetheless it was immediate it was immediately published but today that seems like you know like i'm talking about the uh, the telegraph or non-movable printing or something Blogging was beautiful, man, because, you know, people like us, when we got into it, there was no money. So because there was very, or very little money, because there was very little money in it, you know, we actually got into because we believe things and wanted to convince people we were right. I, I do think a lot of the most popular influencers who's gotten into it in the last few years, um, I think they're all about clicks and they're all about money. And the way if that's what you want to do is you tell people what they want to hear. And what they want to hear is can be pretty damaging sometimes, depending over the long tall, over the long haul. I think we got into it for better reasons, and I, I think that if you really believe in things, you don't necessarily do things the way they do them on social media. And I mean, I I've done a little bit of that stuff. I wrote a piece early on for Culture Cidal called Doritos Journalism, and that's kind of what we did in the Facebook era with Right Wing News. We wrote stuff primarily because we, you know, we were honest about it, but we wrote stuff because we thought it would be read. And we also didn't worry about putting it out there because there was lots of real news. Well, now, you know, everything is, ooh, did you see what who this person said to that person? And Donald Trump insulted that guy. And, ooh, look at this. You should be outraged about this. And that's everybody all the time. I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think people are getting real news or real opinions. I think a lot of people are playing characters, and yeah. you know it is. There's a lot of people, and I've thought about it. I was like, huh, maybe I should have a character online. Maybe I should just go out and say, all right, well, let's create a persona and do that because I think That's a lot of these guys I, do. 
I did earlier today. I did another recording of a of a guy who I like very much, and he uses his real name, mm-hmm. but he has a YouTube channel, and he actually conducted the interview as a cartoon character. He has this really cool avatar that moves and talks while he's talking, mm-hmm. and it, it it was, and that's his character. Although it's also really it's also really him. He just doesn't really want to put his face out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the whole thing with social media and anonymity and multiple accounts, it's, it's really a, it, it's a very different world from the one we grew up in. Yeah. And I got to tell you, there were more real conversations back then. Everybody sure. wasn't trolling. You didn't have to, you, you could go out and actually have conversations with strangers on the internet. that were actually pretty entertaining. Now and it you feels pro- like, yeah. And you prove that you didn't necessarily have to get the permission of a gatekeeper to be heard. At least on once the internet came along. Yeah, and I think all that stuff was very healthy. I don't think social media is healthy. Like, I, I mean, I'll just say this. I don't hear a lot of other people say it. Um, if it were up to me and I were a dictator for a day, the first thing I would do would be ban all forms of social media permanently. That would be it. Be, okay, now I'm retiring. I think that would be the, the, the easiest thing you could do that it would have the most benefit to society. And you could do it one quick swoop, and I think it would help you know, it would help depression levels. It would help, uh, you know, to get the quality of news up. It would help a million different ways. Interesting. Just that one movement. And I, and I don't think anybody else would do that. That's what I, that's what I would do though. First thing. On that note, John, great catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, anything. So, so is, is cult, culture side the, the place to, to, to catch up with you best? Culturesidal.com. Great place to catch up with me. Mm -hmm. John Hawkins, RWN on Twitter. I am actually building that now since Elon's taken over. And, you know, if you want to get a book of mine, 101 Things All Young Adults Should Know. Great for anyone who's young in your family. That is a 101 Things. All Young Adults Should Know. Oh, yeah, there she is. I'm gonna... And one last thing I'm going to say. And I'm going to let you say it. For my dogs. Ron Coleman is an amazing lawyer. I worked uh, with him for a long, long time before uh, you know people knew who he was. Great, great guy. Uh, cannot say enough good things for him, uh, about him. So if you're, you're in a type of thing that Ron Coleman can do for you, yeah, get Ron Coleman. I have. <laughs> Thanks, John. I appreciate it a lot. Great talking to you. And let's, let's stay more in touch. We have a lot of fun together. Catch you later. Kiddos. Thanks, Ron. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day. day.